Those are a couple of clips from a movie called San Andreas. Paul Giamatti's character is a scientist, and he's working hard trying to figure out ways using science uh, to save people from the effects of a catastrophic earthquake. Uh, the other guy is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and he works for the LA Fire and Rescue, and he's trying to save people too. And I, I wanted to show those two clips kind of side by side and then ask you to just kind of talk to someone next to you, which one of these two characters most reminds you of me? pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, clearly it's the rock, but if you put a sweater vest on Paul Giamatti, then maybe. Uh, it is so good to be worshiping with you today, everyone. If you're new to Hope, my name is Scott Rains. I'm one of the pastors here. Our family's been out the last couple of weekends on spring break stuff. Maybe you had a chance to get away as well. I always feel like it's good to get away, and then it's great to be back home. It's great to be back home. Uh, today, we're celebrating Palm Sunday, and we're reminded of this story near the end of his earthly life where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and people are celebrating and shouting and worshiping him as king. Uh, they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest and waving palm branches. Hosanna in the highest. Now, if you were paying attention, in the New Living Translation of the Bible, which is the translation we preach from most regularly here at Hope, you did not hear the word Hosanna in the Palm Sunday story. And that's because this phrase, Hosanna, instead you see this phrase, praise God. By the time we get to Jesus' day, the phrase Hosanna, it's this Hebrew and Aramaic expression. The meaning of it has evolved over the centuries so that by the time we get to Jesus' day, it's kind of this jubilant, uh, joyful, celebratory cry. If something really good happens in your life, you would shout out, Hosanna, praise God. And so the translator said, instead of you know, putting Hosanna, then having people say, what does that mean? Let's just tell people what it meant in Jesus' day. It meant praise God. So that's what it meant in Jesus' day, but there's an original meaning to this old, old phrase that's also important for us to understand and unpack, particularly today on Palm Sunday. As Jesus is making that triumphal entry into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, and the people are, are shouting out Hosanna and waving the palm branches, they're actually quoting an Old Testament passage from Psalm 118. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Please, Lord, please save us. That's the original meaning of Hosanna. It means, Lord, save us. Psalm 118 is part of a series of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. The people of Israel, as they're making their way, ascending up the hill through Jerusalem, making their way to the temple, they would sing Psalms 113 through 118. And as they're singing Psalm 118, as they're singing Hosanna, making not just on Palm Sunday, but every time they're making their way up to the temple, it had a couple of different meanings. One of the things it would mean when they would sing Hosanna is we're thinking back over our past, over our history, and we're praising God, we're thanking God for all the ways that God has shown up in the past and God has saved us, rescued us, delivered us. But there was also a second meaning. It was kind of this worshipful expectation that there's going to be a future salvation that God will send, that God will bring when God sends the Messiah, when God sends God's Son. We will shout Hosanna when the Messiah comes. So because it's Palm Sunday and we're remembering this passage where the people are shouting Hosanna, maybe it would be good for us to shout Hosanna. I'll count to three and we'll shout it out together. Are you ready? I will count to three. <laughs> we'll shout it out together. Are you ready? Yes. All right. One, two, three. Hosanna. <laughs> and not bad for Lutherans. But imagine, imagine you're in the middle of a catastrophic earthquake 
and everything around you is crumbling and falling down. It feels like everything you care about in your life is under attack. You're desperate. You're scared for yourself. You're scared for your family. You realize you are powerless to do anything to save yourself. And then the rock shows up, and you got this hope of salvation. And now let's shout Hosanna like we're in those kind of circumstances. One, two, three. Hosanna. One more time. Hosanna. Ow. You guys are pretty good. That's, that's kind of fun. I, I want us to do that because... What Matthew does next in the story is he tries to paint a picture for us what it must have actually been like to have been there, because most of us weren't there. The people are shouting Hosanna, they're waving the palm branches, Jesus is riding in on a donkey. What was the scene really like? Here's what Matthew says, 21 verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem, estimates are probably about a million people living in Jerusalem in that time. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as Jesus entered. It would have been louder than what we just shouted. It had been, been nuts. Hosanna. Hosanna to the king of kings. Hosanna in the highest. Now, sometimes I'll hear from people and they'll say, how do you pick those movie clips for, the, for this sermon? So I thought I would just let you a little bit behind the scenes on my, my sermon prep today. So when I get ready to you know, write a sermon, I do not actually start with what movie clip do I want to show. I start with the Bible, right? Just write that down. If you're preaching, let's start with the Bible. So I read through the passage that we're kind of preaching from, and I read through it multiple times, and I say, is there any phrase, any word, any idea that kind of is hitting my heart or my mind as I read through it? And this week as I was reading through this very familiar Palm Sunday story, the word that stuck out to me is a word I'd never really thought about before. It's this word, uproar. And as I continued to read through it, I thought, uproar, uproar. Do they really use that word in Jesus' day? 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, would they call things an uproar? That sounds like a more modern term to me, so I thought, let's go to the original Greek. What, is it, what do we find in the original Greek? So the word, the Greek word, that gets translated uproar in our scriptures is the Greek word seo. Let's all say that together. Seo. Seo. And here's the definition of seo. To shake, agitate, cause to tremble. Seo is actually the root word for English words that you're probably familiar with. One of them you heard in the movie clip we watched at the beginning of the message. Seo, seismic, seismology, the study of earthquakes. This is what is going on in the original Palm, Store, uh, Palm Sunday text. There's a shakeup, there's an agitation, there's a cause of trembling when Jesus rides into town. And the entire city of Jerusalem is experiencing it. Now, Paul Giamatti's character, Dr. Lawrence Hayes, is a seismologist at Caltech, and he's got a team of students, and they're doing research trying to figure out ways that we can predict when earthquakes are going to come so we can save people. And I want you to take a look at this scene. When you're in California, one of the questions is, where will you be, who will you be with when the big one hits? And so in this scene, he's talking about, it's not a matter of if, but when the big one is coming. Take a look. I mean, we have to put up with snowstorms on Palm Sunday and tornadoes in the summer, but at least we don't have to worry about catastrophic earthquakes here. At least I hope we don't have to. One of the books of the Bible we don't spend a whole lot of time preaching from is the Old Testament book of Haggai. Uh, Haggai is a prophet. He lives about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And Haggai's in Jerusalem at the same time that the people of Israel are returning after about 70 years of exile and captivity in Babylon. And so they're rebuilding the city, they're rebuilding the temple, and God has a message for the people through Haggai. Here's part of God's message. In just a little while, in just a little while, 
I will again shake the heavens and the earth. And we don't have time to dig into it deeply, but I want you to know this part of the prophecy of Haggai, it's pointing to the future. It's pointing to the time when the Messiah comes. And God's like, I I want the people to be able to understand if you're lucky enough to be a part of the generation that's alive when the Messiah comes, I want you to know what to look for. What are some signs that might indicate? There's a lot of people claiming to be the Messiah. What are some signs indicating this really is the Messiah? God says, when Jesus comes, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. Now, the people in Haggai's day, they're rebuilding the temple, and it's, it's kind of a sad thing for them because they're comparing the temple they're building to the old temple, Solomon's temple. And they've heard stories from parents and grandparents about how great the glory of the former temple and this temple just doesn't compare. And God's like, that's okay, I want you to keep building the temple because the temple, the purpose this temple is serving is every time you come to this temple, God says, I want you to remember there's a future temple that God is going to bring. A future temple, and the glory of that future temple will far outshine the glory of even Solomon's temple. Now, of course, the future temple that God's pointing to is not actually a building, it's Jesus. Remember what Jesus says, I'll destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days? I was thinking about that. He's talking about himself, but wouldn't that be great if he could do that with a building? I'm looking at all the people in the overflow way back there. We're glad that you're here. What if God could destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days? We'd be ready to go for Monday, Thursday with more room, enough room for everyone. That'd be awesome. Think about this temple, so important. And when it comes to the Jesus run, back in Matthew 21, Jesus comes into town. He's riding the donkey. They're waving the branches. They're shouting Hosanna. The next thing that happens, Jesus begins his ascent up to the temple. What does he do there? He pulls out a whip, starts driving out the money changers and throwing tables over, and Miley Cyrus starts singing, he came in like a wrecking ball. (laughs) I don't know if she really did that, but you'll remember, you'll remember. So... Part, part of what Matthew is trying to help us understand in this Palm Sunday story, when he says the whole city is in an uproar, wherever, and, and we see this all throughout the Jesus run. We've been talking and looking at these stories, the power of Jesus' words and his teaching, the power of Jesus' actions and his miracles, the powerful way that he upsets the social structures, the power structures of his day, and he challenges the status quo. Jesus, everywhere he goes, everything he does, He creates a seismic shift and knocks people off their feet. And it's a good thing when Jesus does this to people. It's a good thing when Jesus does this to you and to me. When's the last time as you're looking at Jesus and you're worshiping and you're praying and you're reading scripture, when's the last time Jesus knocked you off your feet with the power of who he is and the new way and the new life and the grace that he has for you? This should be something that never ends in our life. There's there's going to be a beginning. At some point, we'll get knocked off our feet for the first time, but it should be a continual thing as we're following after Jesus. I mean, think about Peter. How many times Peter's doing things as he's following after Jesus, and Jesus just completely, Peter thinks, this is what we should be doing. Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're going completely opposite direction. Knocks Peter off his feet. When's the last time that happened to you? It's a good thing. It's a good thing when following after Jesus causes us to bump up against something that's going to completely change the way we've been living, the way we've been relating. It's a good thing when Jesus comes in like a wrecking ball in our lives because he's going to rebuild us into the people he created us to be. But there are other things that knock us off our feet, aren't there? Things that are not so good. Things that feel like wrecking balls from which we can never recover. 
earthquakes that are shaking the foundation of our life, our relationships. I want you to listen to Psalm, uh, Psalm 55. Here's how Psalm 55 begins. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. What are you crying out to God for help about these days? Please listen and answer me, for I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. Let's read the next two verses together, verse 4 and 5. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. And I can't stop shaking. I can't stop shaking. And we all go through those kinds of realities and circumstances in our life. What do you do when that happens? When there's an earthquake in terms of, I don't know, your relationships, your emotional life, uh, your spiritual life, your health or the health of somebody that you really care about, what do you do? Where do you turn? And one of the lessons of Palm Sunday is in those moments when we're experiencing those earthquake moments in our life, what if we started to do what the people do on Palm Sunday? They shout, Hosanna, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please save us. I don't think it matters how long or how loud I shout, Hosanna, nothing is going to save my NCAA tournament bracket this year. It's just been the most absolute. Angie Rathman here at Hope, we've got one, and uh, she's leading it, all the campuses. She's in, there was like four people who signed up and didn't fill out any games, and so they all have zeros, and I'm two people above them. It's just... Pathetic. But the great thing about having a horrible bracket is you can actually cheer for who you want to cheer for. And so for me, that's always the underdog. Who's the underdog? I'm cheering for them. This has been a great tournament for the underdog, particularly Loyola Chicago, the Ramblers, and their chaplain, America's favorite nun, Sister Jean. I, I was preaching on this last night, and I always fear that when I do this in, in the sporting event that I'm talking about is happening, it won't go the way that would help the message. And so I was happy to see that they won. They made it to the final four as an 11 seed, which is the lowest seed, ties the lowest seed ever to make it. And I saw, I couldn't hear, I was at a, a restaurant with dinner, having dinner with friends, and I couldn't hear what she was saying, but she had her hat on backwards as they were interviewing her, going to the final four, how incredible is that? So Sister Jean actually played basketball in high school in the 1930s. Uh, you remember, we had six-on-six six basketball when I was in high school. She was talking about the court in her day, they divided into thirds, and you could only stay in a third of the court. I don't know how that worked. Uh, she's been the chaplain for the last 24 years at Loyola Chicago. She's 98 years old. <laughs> so she started this part of her vocational call when she was 74. It's awesome. Uh, she's part of an, an order of nuns headquartered in Dubuque, Iowa. And they get training there, and then they send them out all over the world. One of the sisters went to Ecuador, started a clinic for leprosy patients. Another went to Omaha and uh, started an orphanage in, in Omaha. Sister Jean, most of her career is in education, particularly way back in the 50s and the 60s, in the middle of her career. Uh, she was helping advance the cause of women's rights in this country. I think she'd be really excited about the mission project that we've had here at Hope over the Lenten season, this home of hope for, for Ruth Harbor. It's amazing what God's doing through that, and we're going to continue to pray for what God will do through the ministry that, that happens there. Uh, she lives on campus in a dorm, got a, an apartment in one of the dorms, because she wants to be as close to the students as she can be so she can minister to them. 
She hosts prayer meetings in her apartment. She bakes cookies and hosts Bible studies where they look at the uh, gospel story that they're going to use in the Mass for the upcoming weekend. Begins her day at 5 o'clock in the morning with prayer and meditation. Uh, there's a joke we say at Alpha, it's prayer and medication. And so that's, I always make sure I don't say that. Prayer and meditation. So she prays for God to give her a peaceful day. Uh, she reads through gospel stories, and that's what she's meditating on. She said this week in an interview, particularly, she's been looking at the stories of God's love for God's children. She says, whether we win or lose, the important thing is God is with us. God is with us. So she's being interviewed on uh, Good Morning America this week, and part of what she said in her interview in Good Morning America is, if you don't have confidence and faith, then you might as well not be playing. If you don't have confidence and faith, you might as well not be playing. There's a lot of things we can learn from Sister Jean's story. Here's the one that kind of struck me this week as it relates to Palm Sunday. Uh, the last time Loyola Chicago won an NCAA tournament game was 35 years ago, 1985. So for the first 23 years of her ministry as the chaplain, they did not win an NCAA tournament game. She showed up out of the spotlight, no fanfare, and she just did her job. She encouraged the players, she supported the players, prayed for them before and after the game. Now, uh, she's got a lot of notoriety. But those first 23 years, it was not a whole lot of winning. And sometimes we get a little goofy when it comes to the connection between sports and faith, and people will say things, I don't know how serious they are, like, well, the reason Loyola, Chicago, made it to the Final Four is because God's on their side. Uh, the reason is because of the prayers of Sister Jean, and the problem with that is you conveniently forget she was praying faithfully the last 23 years and not winning anything. So here, here's where it connects to our faith and earthquakes in, in our life. When we're going through those seasons where everything is shaking and falling around us and we are praying, we want our prayers to be answered right now. We want things to get better. We want things to get fixed right now. But when you look at Scripture, it seems like maybe there's a different way of thinking about things. Remember back to the Haggai story, God shows up and says to Haggai, tell the people, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. In a little while, I'm going to send this rescuer, this redeemer, this savior, the deliverer, the Messiah. In a little while. It turns out to be 500 years, which I think is important for me as a husband. If my wife says, hey, Scott, could you fix that? I'll say, in a little while. It hasn't been 500 years yet. What do you, be patient. What? No. None of us, none of us would say, my definition of in a little while is 500 years. We wouldn't say it's 23 years. When we're in those seasons, when everything is shaking, and we, we've been knocked down, and we're, not, we're on our knees crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save us, and God's response to us is in a little while, it's not the response we're looking for. But it is the response of faith. If you don't have confidence in faith, you might as well not be playing. Ben Sherwood is a, an award-winning journalist. He used to be the president of ABC News, author of a book called The Survivors Club. Now, like all of us, he has people in his lives who go through these earthquake seasons, these times where everything gets shaken, and then they have to rebuild out of that. And some people rebuild, and other people just kind of live the rest of their life in the rubble. And he was looking at this and thinking about this, and he, he would get to do these human interest stories on people who rebuilt and who survived. And he's like... What, what's the difference? What makes some ordinary people go through these ca catastrophic events in their life and some people thrive and survive and other people just become kind of victims the rest of their life? 
Is there anything we can learn from survivors? So he starts interviewing people from what he calls the Survivors Club. Brian Udell he interviews, the only pilot who has survived an emergency ejection out of an airplane going the speed of sound. Interviews a guy named Stan Pramnath, who was working on the 81st floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center on September 11th. That's the floor that one of the planes flew into. He was the only one on that floor who survived. He interviewed people who survived shipwrecks and plane crashes and horrible medical diagnoses. Found out all sorts of things. One of the things he found out... 30% of all people have a gene that when we're going through stress and strain, this gene releases a chemical into our bodies that helps us cope with whatever it is we're going through. 30% of people have that, so most of us do not. He also found out that there were people who just kind of lived their life expecting the worst thing's going to happen. And so they're always prepared for it. When, when the bad thing happens, they're not surprised, and they have a plan, and they're like, okay, how do we move forward? One of the things that he did as he was doing all of this research, he went to the Naval Survival Training Institute. He actually went through all of their survival training. And at the end of it, he had the opportunity to interview Ray Smith, who's kind of this survival guru who runs the Naval Survival Training Institute. And he said, we got all of these different strategies and all these different techniques and things that we can do that will help us survive if we go through whatever these scenarios might be. What's the most important thing? What's the number one survival tool that people need to know? And Ray Smith, survival guru, says faith in God. Faith in God, number one thing. One of the women, uh, Ben Sherwood, interviewed part of the Survivors Club. Ann Helly is her name. She was riding a mountain bike with a friend in Southern California when she got attacked by a mountain lion. Mountain lion had its jaws, I mean, holding onto her with its jaws. Her friend jumps off her bike, and they start this kind of tug-of-war, Mountain Lion and Anne's friend. Mount, and Anne's friend wins. Mountain Lion runs away. They call 911. Rescue helicopter shows up. I don't think it was the rock piloting it, but who knows. Get her to the hospital. Church starts praying for her. Community starts you know, rallying around her, and she survives. And so when Ben Sherwood interviews her, one of his questions is, in the moment of the attack, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And she says, I was screaming at the top of my lungs, God save me. God save me. I, that was the only thing that could help. God save me. Hosanna. I tell you all of that to remind you part of the power, the story of Palm Sunday is the power of faith. They're waving the palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, 500 years after God says, in a little while I'm going to send the Messiah. And so part of what it means to shout Hosanna is it means I have faith, I believe that God is going to show up. It's not a matter of if, but when. Shouting Hosanna means I have faith in God's love. It's so real and it's so strong. No matter what's going on in my life, no matter what is shaking me, no matter if it's sad or bad or I'm, I'm lonely or I feel abandoned, I will not, it will not shake my faith in my Savior. I'm going to shout Hosanna even when the Romans are occupying my country. I'm going to shout Hosanna even when the religious institution in my day has gotten so corrupt. I'm going to shout Hosanna because there's only one who has the words of eternal life. There's only one who has the power to save. There's only one who comes in the name of the Lord and his name is Jesus. And he is the one I'm going to follow. One, one more clip from this movie, San Andreas. The Rock and his wife are on their way from L.A. to San Francisco to save their daughter, Blake, who's trapped in the aftermath of the earthquake. 
Blake has picked up some survival skills over the years just from observing her dad. And so she's making her way to Coit Tower in San Francisco. The rock says, you get to the top of Coit Tower, I'll get the helicopter there, and you know, we'll rescue you. She's got a couple of brothers that um, are kind of lost, and they're going with her on this journey as well. And along the way, they learn some pretty valuable lessons about faith. Take a look. When the earthquakes hit your life, when the ground underneath your feet is shaking and you're not sure when it's going to stop, what are you going to do? Where, where are you going to turn? Who are you going to follow? Jesus extends this invitation, follow me, follow me, follow me. And a lot of times when we start saying yes to that invitation to follow Jesus, things start to feel a little shaky because it seems like everybody else is going a different direction. Remember, Jesus wants to create this seismic shift in your life and in this world so that he can recreate and he can rebuild, he can usher in the kingdom of God. Let's read this verse together, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And this is pretty good news, isn't it? What, what the power of God is able to do for us when the earthquake knocks us down is pick us up and set our feet on the firm foundation of his love and his grace and his life. So let's stand and let's sing this last song. Let's worship with holy fear and awe. And maybe as you sing this, you're remembering times in your life where God has shown up and God has delivered. And you want to shout Hosanna, but it might be a Hosanna for a future salvation that it's still to come, that you still need God to provide in your life. Either way, let's worship God together.